So I wanted to put together a few thoughts that I found very valuable. And basically it's around this idea of objections to God, right? Of objections to theism. Theism is the belief in God. And primarily, you know, I was motivated because what I've personally found, especially in, in rediscovering my own faith and relationship to God, is how hardened our hearts have become today in society. And let me specify what that means exactly. You know, your heart is your conscience. It's your ability to know right from wrong. It's your ability to sense, to use your intuition, to use compassion with other people, to empathize. All those things fall into your heart, right? In many ways, if you look at some of the science around the heart and the brain, it's actually really fascinating. I believe there's a there's a website, I'm not thinking of the name right now, but I think it's like heart math. But a lot of fascinating research on really how the heart is its own thing. I mean, it's its own brain kind of, you know, right? It's, it's its own center of sorts. And that's obvious to anybody, right? But it's so much more than just a physical pump. It's, it's an emotional, psychological center. And our heart can get hardened. So what does that mean? Well, it, when your heart is soft, you, you're you a compassionate person. You're able to exercise compassion, which is what? What does compassion mean? It means suffering together. That's where the, the root of the word comes from. And so it basically means, okay, I can empathize with somebody. It means you can see yourself in their struggles, right? You can relate to those things. You can feel what they're feeling. It also means, I mean, that's not the only thing, but it also means, you know, you're generous, that your heart is open. It also means that you're courageous, that your heart is open and daring to be able to do what's uncomfortable. The heart is the source of persistence and strength. It's also the center where we communicate to God, which is our higher higher source of, of everything that's good. That's how we communicate how we receive messages. It's our ability to have a conscience, to know right from wrong, right? So it's so many things. And that in and of itself could probably be a whole topic to talk about. But I just want to briefly introduce that to you because today there are many things that harden our hearts. And that has to do with a lot of other things, you know, that are happening in the world, unfortunately, like all the desensitization from the violence that we see on TV, right? The news is constantly blasting us with fear. Um, you know, the, the sexualization of everything, pornography, the movies, all this glitz and glam and, and this electric world that we live in is, is constantly stimulating us because it wants to get a reaction. It wants to get a reaction out of you, right? The world is about keeping momentum going. So what that means is they need to stimulate momentum, right? If you look at, I mean, social media is a great example. When you log in, there's so many ads constantly trying to get your attention to pull at you, to pull at your consciousness and say, oh, hey, come here, do this, do that, do this. No, are you afraid of this? Oh my gosh, you really need that, right? It's a constant push and pull. And that's that's really the whole world at large. It's, it's always wanting something from you. And in order to do that, it has to stimulate you. And when you add all of that up, 
from all these different sources that I just mentioned. And they're, you know, just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many things that are constantly pulling at us and obligating us in some way. It's very exhausting for our heart. Our hearts aren't designed to deal with, like social media, for example. You know, we're not built to deal with 3,000 friends. (laughs) You know, to have so many social interactions constantly, which, which what it does is, if you're a normal person, you know, the average person who, let's say, their heart isn't too hardened, and you have a sense of empathy, and you have a sense of, um, you know, compassion and, and social awareness, right? When you're having a conversation with somebody, for a normal person like that, it's normal to listen and to get into the person's story, to, to be with them, to give them the space. But that takes a lot of energy. You know, it really does. We have to be in the right mindset. We have to be relaxed. We can't be thinking of ourselves. We can't be, you know, trying to judge a person or whatever, be on our way somewhere else, right? So it takes a lot of energy. And when you have, for again, social media, all these different relationships chatting with you and you're chatting about nonsense and talking about this and seeing the best little clips of their lives and, you know, it's just so meaningless. There's so many, so much stuff that you have to commit your energy to, what happens is your body becomes desensitized. You become numb to the experience because you have to do it. You have to survive the onslaught of information. And so you become desensitized. That's the rule with anything when you're exposed constantly to it more than what is tolerable, or I should say more than what we were created for. Right, and, this, and that's social media is a microcosm for everything else because as these things assault you, as these things assault you, you know the the, the pornography, the so the sexualization in the movies, the violence, the highly stimulating food, the the highly stimulating drama shows you watch on TV, you know, Dancing with the Stars, whatever. I mean, there's so much nonsense. The news, fear, fear, fear. It desensitizes you, and the cost is very great. The cost is very great, because if you recall, your heart is is a center for a lot of different things. You can't desensitize yourself and do it exclusively to one aspect, right? Like, for example, you can't desensitize yourself and be less empathetic, but you know, your intuition is still like rock solid or, you know, you have a great uh, relationship with the divine, with God. You know, so so ultimately, it's, it's a blanket effect. And this is the danger because when we harden our hearts, when we give in to all of these worldly stimulations, whether they're on the side of pleasure or pain, you know, you're constantly being blasted. It hardens your heart. And when your heart hardens, you lose some fundamental skills, which the consequence of that is it sets you up for suffering and failure and feeling without a purpose, disconnecting you from the source, which is God, and making it very difficult to see the truth, right? So, so what happens is the truth is very subtle. It's there. It's very powerful. But the truth is such that it is a quiet truth, right? And you're only going to recognize it if your heart isn't hardened. Think about it. If, if somebody is just 
totally wrapped up in the momentum of the material world. You know, I, we've all been there. Look, so I'm not judging, but let's say, you know, you're going out partying every weekend. You, you know, you're on social media, just scrolling through mindlessly. You're kind of just living day to day. You don't really have any sense of anything, right? We've all been there and it's okay because the world is built to create that. It's a matrix. But when you're in that momentum, it's very hard for you to, to realize the value of things like spiritual practice, even things like gratitude, which is a very simple type of habit that you can employ. And that makes infinite difference in your life to be able to practice gratitude. Such a simple yet you know profound habit, but it's so important for your heart. But you can't practice gratitude if your heart is hardened and you're so desensitized and disillusioned and cynical because the world makes us cynical from all those things, right? And, and so you get into this trap and you just live for the moment, chasing little hit after hit or pleasure after pleasure just to you know, numb yourself a little more. And then you get even more numb because the, the stimulation is just so much. And then we lose all sense of ourselves. And the things that we do look for salvation, right? To save us from the condition of being human, to save us from the nagging sense of not having a purpose in our life, to save us from the from the suffering, from the death, from the loss that happens all around us and in our own life. The things that we look to save us from that, they don't provide the salvation we need. We look to other people in our relationships. We look to other you know people that we know are friends but they're not available all the time or we get in a fight with them we look to money but we lose money we make money we look to our business we look to everywhere you look in the material world it is constantly changing and dying and depreciating it's never the same right so it's impossible to fulfill that yearning desire the only solution the real true solution is to soften your heart again to soften your heart so that you can listen, so that you can see the truth, so you can allow the infinite that always was and that's always speaking to you so that you can hear those whispers. You know, sometimes God will will allow big, big bad things to happen in your, in your life so that it'll, it's a chance for you to grow and see what really matters. But most of the time, God is whispering. It's whispering gently. And the material world the material world is yelling. It's yelling all the time at you. And the only way that you can get out of this little prison is by tuning your ears, your spiritual ears, to listen and to soften your heart again. So why did I bring all that up? Well, I brought it up because when it comes to handling objections to God, there's there's so much in this conversation that's so important. I truly hope you don't miss it. One of the things that I've found is a common thing with a lot of people is, very first and foremost, this whole notion of, well, I just don't care. I don't care if there's a God or if, if there is a God or whatever else, right? And so, you know, one of the things that I've learned in my life on my own journey towards the truth and, and being free, because really that's what it's about. The truth shall set you free. And this is, this is the truth. That truth sets you free. But on the road to that truth, one thing that I've 
learn, which is a very important skill, to be free, and if you truly want to be free, is to continually examine what is it that you say and what is it that you actually do, right? Because we are constantly living as hypocrites, all of us, because we say things, but we don't actually do them or we don't do them as the way that we say them. It's called integrity, and I don't mean moral integrity, although that could be implied, but it's really just the alignment of what you say and what you do. So when you say that I don't care that there's a God or if there is a God or not, whatever, that is an ingenuine statement. It's a disingenuous. You're not being honest. And I'll tell you why. Because what happens is in your life, I bet you you can find things that you care about that don't have a big impact on your life. When looked at from the whole scheme of things, all of us have things that we care about. Now, I'm not saying you have to care a lot about them, but there are things that you care about that don't have a big impact on your life. You know? And you can list a few of them right now. I mean, maybe you care about some argument you had on Facebook yesterday, or maybe you care about you know, whether you're two pounds heavier this morning or not, you know, there's so many things that we care about that don't have in the greater scheme of things, a huge impact on our life. And that's okay because that happens. We get, we get snagged into the material world, but the point still stands that everybody has something that they care about that doesn't have a big impact on their life. So if you can care about something as insignificant as that, then it's disingenuous, it's not honest to say that you don't care if God exists or not. And the reason is because if God exists, whether God exists or not, let's put it this way, that is the most significant question that you could ever ask yourself because it determines everything about your life. There's so many, you know, when you take on a belief it's, it's not, and this goes for any belief, not just like theistic beliefs or not. When you take on a belief, you don't just take on, you know, this is this statement in your mind that's in an isolated vacuum. No, when you take on a belief, it's like a path that you begin walking down. Every belief that you take on, that you sincerely take on, is a road that you begin walking on. Isn't that the truth? When you believe, you know, like if you believe somebody was a, a scammer, you would avoid them. Right? Why? Well, because your belief generates actions. So what you believe determines what you do and the road that you've been walking on. So every belief that you take on in your life, and this is a very important thing to remember for everything that you believe. Everything that you believe is like a box. It's a little present. It's like a box that carries other beliefs with it. And you, you, you don't just have a belief in isolation. So when you invite a belief into your mind, into your heart, it brings in other beliefs with it, whether you realize or accept that or not. That's the truth. So the question is, what does it mean if there is a God? And what, if, what does it mean if there isn't a God? And the answer is that there is a huge consequence if there is a God. The biggest consequence you could possibly imagine and we can get to that, but really, you know, it's about this whole idea of the afterlife and heaven and hell and God being a judge and all these things that we'll, we'll get into in, in here. But 
The point is, there is a huge consequence. Now, if there is no God, then well, okay, we all die and, and it is what it is. But if there is a God, then there is a huge consequence. And a lot of times, here's where people will deflect again. You know, we, we run these little rackets on ourselves when we get into territory that's uncomfortable in an argument or a debate where we don't want to really take accountability for anything. So we, we just become obstinate or, you know, we pretend like we don't care. But again, these are disingenuous statements. These are dishonest statements. And if you're okay with being dishonest, then okay, you know, it is what it is as long as you acknowledge it. But don't pretend that you're being honest about a belief when it's not consistent with the rest of your life. That's really what it's about. You know, when people say, I don't care about the consequences. I don't care if I go to hell. I don't care if I go to heaven. Well, that's not an honest statement either. It's really not. And it breaks my heart. Somebody who, you know, I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, we are called to spread the gospel, to spread the truth. Because the truth has consequences. You know, if I told you, hey, uh, you know, orange is a better color than purple. I don't know, something meaningless, right? That has no consequences on your life or very little consequences. But when you talk about something as important as eternity, as the worldview that's presented by theism and specifically Christian theism with an afterlife and a heaven and hell and a a final judgment, you know, that has a huge consequence. That is the biggest possible consequence you can imagine. And if that's the truth, and I accept that as the truth, then it falls on me to tell other people and to share that truth. Because wouldn't it be true if you found out that, you know, you're drinking water and it's poisoned with something? Wouldn't you tell other people, hey, that water's poisoned in the drinking fountain, don't drink it. You would, unless your heart was hardened. You see, we go back to that first point, which is if you have a soft heart, if you're in tune with your conscience, if you're in tune with your empathy, with your compassion, the first thing you would want to do is tell other people, hey, don't drink from that well, it's poisoned. And so you see, this is natural. This is normal to have these types of feelings. And so when there's a consequence that it's so major, it behooves us to tell other people. And so when other people say, I don't care about the consequences, you're not being honest. I challenge you that you're not being honest. And I'll tell you why. Because look, the question is simple. Do you love anybody in your life right now? Right? Do you have anybody that you love? Your, your friends, your you know, significant other, your family? And so if the answer is yes, which again, if you're being honest, you should have a yes in there, at least one person that you care about in your life. Then if I present you with the opportunity and say, listen, there's an opportunity for you to live forever with these people. You never have to lose them, ever. And that's something that's available to you for free. And you say, well, I'm not interested in that. I don't care about that consequence. Then you see how that's not consistent with you saying that you care about those people or you say you love them. Now here's another one. You know, that's obviously implying going to heaven and living eternally there. But what about if there's a hell? Or as some people say, you know, what if there's just, you know, people get resurrected when the second coming of Christ comes and the people who haven't accepted him get destroyed. Would you want that to happen to anybody? 
I would rather that that person, however bad they are, that they genuinely repent for their sins. I wouldn't want that fate on anybody. And certainly there are very horrible people in this world. But look, the people that you care about, if there's a possibility that they could be lost forever like that, they could be destroyed or you know, lost to some painful reality, wouldn't you want to help them you know, escape that? I mean, again, if your heart isn't hardened, you know, if somebody with a hard heart will say, well, I, yeah, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's all meaningless. I mean, that's just BS. You're not being honest because that's not how you behave. You have people that you love in your life. What about your dog, your pet that you love? Wouldn't you want to be eternally with them if, you, if they could never die and you could be with them forever? Wouldn't that be something you'd want? Right? And so this is where we get hung up with ourselves. We have major inconsistencies with what we say and what we actually feel and do. Right? And so you have to see where other people are being dishonest. And in my opinion, call them out on it. But do it gently, obviously. You know, it's, it's tough. And at the same time, if you're on the fence and if you're struggling with these things, my challenge to you is, are you being honest with the responses that you give? Because if your heart is is open, then you can see how when you say things like, well, I don't care if there's a God or not. I don't care if there's heaven or hell. You can see how those things are inconsistent with how you actually live your life. Right? Because if there's a God, that is the most significant paradigm shift. It, it, it is the first question really to answer, is I believe, to answer for yourself. Right? Because one of the things is, you know, another thing that is inconsistent. If you say, well, I don't really care if there's a God or there is no God. Well, then how do you explain morality? Right? You have everybody who isn't a sociopath, right? Uh, has a sense of right and wrong. We have a genuine sense when things are not right in the world. In fact, that's called the problem of evil. And in fact, the problem of evil is it serves the theistic argument, meaning that there is a God, much better than it does the atheistic argument, that there is no God. And most atheists will use, well, what about if God exists and, you know, how is all this evil present in the world? Well, there's two answers to that. The first one is, God is loving, and so being loving, he created us with free will. He didn't create us as morally perfect robots that would obey him. He created us as free beings to choose whether we want to be moral or not, to obey his laws. And obviously, you can see the result of that. So he's letting it play out. But you see, the Christian way of looking at it is there is a definite end to this little experiment. And we'll get to that. But the point is that that's one of the explanations that's very simple that you can observe. This is the effects of free will. People are free. If God controlled everything then people wouldn't be free in that sense. If God made everybody just morally perfect, then it wouldn't be authentic on his part. Now, the second more important explanation, I think they're both important, but the second explanation is, in terms of why is there evil in the world, well, the fact that you're recognizing evil as a problem points to moral laws that are being broken, objective morality. There is an objective sense that, and I'm sorry for this, but, you know, abusing children 
in th these types of things, you know, raping people, uh, killing them, these types of things are universally wrong because they're just wrong. They're, they break a universal moral principle. And so when you feel that, how do you explain that? Because you go about your life feeling these things if your heart isn't hardened, you know, if you're not desensitized to the world. If you're not desensitized, then you feel these things. You know what's right and wrong. You, you understand that without having anybody to explain it to you. And the question is, if there is no God, how do you explain that? How do you explain your conscience? How do you explain morality? Because look, morality implies that there are moral laws. And moral laws imply that there is an authority that those laws came from. Right? That's, that's something that we can always see in the world as it is. If you're driving through a neighborhood and there's a speed limit, the reason there's a speed limit is because the government in that area created that law. There's an authority that created the law and that enforces it. Right? And so the question is, if there's a law that's being broken and we feel that through our conscience, where, who created that law? Where did it come from? If you don't believe in God. And you run into several options. Each of them are just total failures. They're not, they don't provide you with the answer. So the first one would be government. For, and these are not in order or anything, but first one might be government, right? Well, you know, it's moral because most governments, you know, outlaw killing. And we live in an advanced, you know, Western civilization, which, by the way, is based on Christian ideology. But that's besides the point. Well, here's the question. Are there things that are right but they're illegal? The answer is yes. Are there things that are legal, but they're not right? And the answer is yes. And so what's legal is not always right. And what's right is not always legal. And laws can change based on lobbying, whims of the people, you know, who's in Congress, whatever else, right? So laws can change. And so the question is, does that mean that morality changes? And you'll see this problem time and again. But if, if that's the case, then your morality is not hinged on anything. It's just hinged on the, the wind that goes to and fro. Because those things can always change if they're governed by something in the material world. Another one might be evolution. And look, I mean, I'm not going to get into this in this talk because it would probably take a whole other hour. But the reality is that evolution is nonsense. Evolution has so many things that's wrong with it. Now, there's adaptation. There's natural selection. There, there's, you know, when things go from generation to generation, gener the genetics change, meaning that certain things get selected for, but that's adaptation, right? Things change within their own kind, within their own, you know, family. But they do not, you know, a bird doesn't become a dog, okay? That's never happened, never will happen, and you have to abstract so much to, to even try to consider it, which requires even more faith. But then you come back to the problem of, well, carbon dating has so many problems with it. You know, it's, it's completely unreliable for ages beyond like 500 BC because you have to make so many assumptions and there's, there's no way you can make those assumptions correctly. And so you get all these wild dates. And so the loss of information over time the fact that there's no transition fossils, the fact that carbon dating is a joke beyond, you know, a couple centuries BC, there's a lot of, again, I'm not going to get into it too much, but evolution is nonsense. 
in the way that is presented. Natural selection, adaptation, these things happen, things change, obviously, but they're not changing for the better. You're never going to get a, a wolf from breeding poodles, but you'll get poodles eventually from the initial template, which is perfect. So evolution is nonsense. And even if it were to happen, again, I don't believe in it. I don't think there's any scientific support for it, but quite the opposite. But let's say it did happen. It doesn't explain the feeling that you have that a law is broken. Evol- you know, breaking something moral, doing something what we, what we recognize as evil is not, evolution doesn't obligate you. It's not an authority. Evolution is not an authority on your life, right? It may give you certain urges or whatever, but it's not an authority on your life. Evolution doesn't care if you break a a moral principle, right? So again, evolution doesn't happen, but still, there's no authority that comes from evolution. Some people say it's culture, but let me tell you this. If you go to a, some remote tribe where they marry little girls or little boys, well, it, mostly it's girls, actually. But let's say, you know, you go to some remote tribe because you're a pedophile. And again, I'm sorry for, for the subject matter, but let's say that's something that you want to do. And you go to some remote tribe where they're marrying off little girls because that's part of the culture. And if you did that in, in most cultures today, you would go to jail. It would be a serious crime. But yet, you know, you want to get away with it, so you go to a different culture. Well, I'm I'm behaving morally. Is that how moral? Is that how morals work? Well, no, it's not. All of any person with a with a decent conscience would would look at that and say, well, that's BS. You're you're trying to skirt the system and and get what you want and justify yourself, right? So so culture is not morality. In the same way as with upbringing, you know, oh well, you know, my parents taught me how to be a good person. Well, where did they learn it from? Their parents. Where did their parents learn it from? So, you know, you go through this whole chain where eventually (laughs) you come back to the same problems. How do we get here? Who created us? Evolution is nonsense. So that means at some point we had to be created, right? Something had to generate everything that's in the world. And the question is, who was that something? Who gave that f- those first moral lessons or moral upbringing to the first people on the planet, or I shouldn't say planet, I don't believe in a planet, but that's a whole other can of worms. But who gave moral laws to the first people, right? Who gave us a conscience? And that's why, again, you can't take God out of the picture because God is the simplest explanation given the evidence. God created us in his image with a conscience to be able to be self-aware, to see what's right and wrong, to make judgments about things to behave morally right that makes sense he's the author of it all but if you if you take that out if you reject that then you have to explain reality you know the burden of proof is on you and you know some people even say feelings well you know i i just feel well (laughs) if you feel you're right and i feel i'm right one of us is not going to be right or both of us might be a little bit wrong you know so feelings come and go hormones affect feelings situations affect feelings your trauma affects feelings so feelings are not a source of morality common sense is not so common we say common sense all the time but (laughs) your common sense is different than my common sense because i may be you know for example and i've run into this so many times with other people but we say it's common sense but common sense is specific to a particular situation 
you may have a lot of experience, you know, for example, with recording, I'm, I'm talking to you now on a very expensive microphone. It's an RE20. It's about $400, $500 microphone. Really nice, right? But what I know about recording audio and, and, and mastering it or whatever else, right, is common sense to me now. But if you've never recorded audio, if you've never mastered audio, if you've never done anything with audio, and I had you try to record something with me and then try to, you know, spruce it up and you wouldn't know, I'd say, well, that's just common sense. Why would you do that? You know, so common sense is related to the specific thing. There's no such thing as common sense because common sense is not that common. Now, certain things, obviously, yeah, there are things that we hold in common. But we tend to use this statement as a blanket statement, like, oh, it's just common sense. Well, it's not. <laughs> common sense is not so common, right? So, so you come back to these problems of, of inconsistencies in how you live. You live a moral life. Most people are decent people. Most people are, you know, we all have a heart in heart to some degree. And I believe that the more you commit your life to prayer and to the truth and you allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit Again, I'm Christian, so this is what we believe. You know, ultimately, we are not the authors of our life. We are not the authors of what's good in our life. I don't take ownership for anything I've done that's good. I used to, but I realized that was all an illusion. Anytime I did anything good, God was working through me. And God is the one who softened my heart through the gentle whispers of the Holy Spirit. And so anybody who has somewhat of a conscience can see that they behave morally they're they have a sense of right and wrong right that that transcends these these fleeting material things like government and feelings evolution upbringing the culture these things are nonsense they don't they don't have a grounding for morality but yet you behave morally so how can you reject the simplest explanation which is god because you have to deal with that you have to deal also with how do we get here Right? If it's evolution, if it's your upbringing, if it's all these different things, well, how do we, how do we get here? How did it all start? And you start unpacking those things, and you realize evolution is nonsense. <laughs> evolution is nonsense. And you know the best explanation for how we got here is God—a causeless, all-loving, all-powerful Creator that wanted a personal relationship with us. And furthermore, and, and I'll leave you with this, because this is also something you have to resolve. When you look at reality, again, you know, we can choose to be ignorant, but that doesn't change reality. Two plus two is four, because there's evidence for that, and you can reproduce that. Whether you want to say it's five or six or eight or nine, doesn't matter. It's always going to be four. So, you know, that you choose to ignore that it's four doesn't make the two plus two any different number. So look around you as as you walk around in nature, spend time outside, get connected to nature and, and learn to soften your heart to the wonder and mystery of everything around us. And as you do that, as you make a habit out of curiously examining the world you live in, you'll come to several conclusions about where you live, the, the nature of reality, right? That's so important. And again, if you say, well, I don't care about that. It's not important to me. Well, you're not being honest because you care about much less stuff that has much less significance and impact 
and you give that your your emotions and yet something that has way more impact on your life uh, and all of eternity you choose to ignore and so you're not being honest that you don't care so either you're not being honest about the things that you care about or you're just not being honest that you don't care about God or the existence of God you're just trying to avoid it so when you look in nature and you see all these things one of the things that you see there's many things there's a lot of Bible verses that talk about how nature is a signature of God and how we're, we are left with no excuse because of nature's beauty and power and magnificence to see that there is a creator. And you can deduce a lot of things about God. And I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go too much into detail here. But the one thing I do want to talk about is that nature is very balanced. It's very harmonious. Duality, right? Male and female, yin and yang. Everywhere you look, up and down, left and right, it's, it's a system that is incredibly balanced between two things. It's this, this beautiful dance of life. And as you look at that, you look at how balanced it is, how finely tuned it is. One of the best arguments for God is this finely tuned nature of the information of the world. It always corrects itself so perfectly with the least amount of effort. You know, there's a, there's a Tao Te Ching saying, it says, nature never hurries, yet everything is accomplished. It's by Lao Tzu, I believe. It's such a beautiful phrase. You know, the Taoists really were in tune with nature. Unfortunately, I think they, they worship nature, which they missed the whole point because nature is a mirror to the creator. And so they fell in love with the creation rather than creator. But there's a lot of interesting things from that discipline. And, and this whole idea of nature never hurries and yet everything is accomplished. It's a true observation. And when you look at that and you really consider, okay, if there is a creator, if there's a mind that generated all of the information in this world and created this, and this is a signature of that mind, right? That mind must be a perfect judge, have a perfect sense of fairness. Otherwise, if that mind didn't have a perfect sense of fairness, creation wouldn't even be able to exist because an imbalance would lead to another imbalance and it would just unravel, right? So it had to be incredibly finely, precisely tuned. Think about all the stuff in the world, right? From, from the microscopic to the macroscopic. It's all so perfectly finely tuned. So the creator must have had a, fair, a perfect sense of fairness. And what that implies is that the creator is a perfect judge. And if the creator created a conscience, which, you know, in the Bible it says that he wrote the law on our hearts. It's a conscience to, to determine, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet your neighbor's things, those types of things, right? If the creator generated that information, then he's also the source of morality. So he must be a perfectly moral judge. And what that means, as you continue to take this train of thought further, is that none of us would stand a chance against that moral judge. We wouldn't because we every, every day we do something wrong. Every day we do something wrong. You know, how many times have you used God's name in vain? How many times have you stolen? Have you borne false witness against your neighbor? You know, how many times have you lied? Whatever, right? I mean, cheated. <laughs> we don't like to admit it, but it's, it's there. And we all have. We do it all the time because we have an ego. 
This is the fallen state of the world we live in, which again is very clearly explained from a theistic point of view. That everything was created perfectly and we're de-evolving, not evolving. It's the opposite of what they tell you. So, you know, you get to the, you get to these observations, which again, they're very logical. We didn't have to dive into any crazy research or anything. These are things that you have been given a, a discernment and a conscience to see and observe for yourself. If you spend the time to actually soften your heart, open your heart, and to let that information in. It's all around you. Just look. The problem is we don't. We get distracted and we, we prefer to live in the comfort of the stimulating material world rather than address these very important topics, right? Because if God is a perfect judge, then none of us will make it. And if there is a creator, then there's also a definite ending and there will be a judgment. Now, whether you make it to that ending or not, the point is at the ending, everybody will be there, right? The Bible is very clear about that there is a resurrection of everybody. Everybody's going to have to take account for what they did. And at that point in time, you have to ask yourself, if there's a morally perfect judge that has to judge creation in order for him to be morally perfect, otherwise, if he's making exceptions, then he's a corrupt judge. So he has to be authentic. He has to be honest. And if he is going to be honest, he has to judge everybody for what they did. Would any of us pass the test? Well, the answer is no, plain and simple. It's just, it's impossible. You know, back in the day, if you had used a king's name in vain, you would get an execute. You'd be executed if you used like, you know, King Henry's name and as a swear word or something. I mean, can you imagine? Now imagine the difference between a peasant and a king. Imagine that sort of power difference, right? How much greater is it between you and I and God, the almighty creator? That's it's a, an infinite difference. And so when you're using the almighty creator's name in vain, which we all have, I've used God's name in vain so many times in my life. I try not to anymore. And thank goodness that I've gotten better at that. But I used to use his name very inappropriately every time I was mad. Imagine how disrespectful that is to the creator. That's deserving of death, <laughs> you know? But God is a loving, merciful God. That's where it, it all comes together, which is instead of judging you based on all your stupid mistakes that we make every day, on our faulty human behavior and ego, instead of judging you on all of these things and counting all the things that you're doing, he offers you a chance to judge you just by your faith and your ability to be repentant, meaning to realize, listen, I, I, I did something wrong, please forgive me. And to have faith that your debt for all the things that you've done, all the bad things that you've done has been paid. It's like you're in the courtroom and you're guilty and somebody comes in and says, hey, it's okay, I, I got this. I, I'll pay the bail, whatever it is, and you're free to go. Now, you still did those things, but the, but the payment has been paid in your place. And that's where Jesus Christ comes in. That's the solution. That is how God, in his infinite wisdom, figured out how he can reconcile his nature as both a loving God, which everybody likes to say these days. And it's true, but people forget that part of being God is also that he's a perfect judge because he's the creator and created everything with such balance and fine-tunement. Right? So people don't like that part because it makes them accountable. Right. And so, you know, it, it's a it's a sting to our pride and our our ego. But, you know, look, if God is a perfect judge and none of us can make it. But if he's offering you, listen, 
I paid for your debt as long as you have faith in me and you realize that I'm your savior, I'm your salvation, and I've paid for your debt. And you, you have a contrite heart, you soften your heart again, you realize where you've done wrong and you try to do better. That's the formula. It's, it's such a no-brainer, it really is, you know? So I hope that this talk has opened up some things for you, whether you're somebody who you know has a relationship with God and maybe you're on the fence, <laughs> maybe you don't, and maybe it's opened up some things for you. Uh, in either case, look, it's, it's about being consistent. And I'll leave you with this. When you start following the truth and wanting the truth in your life, it will lead you back to God. It will. Because you'll, you'll start to realize all of the inconsistencies that you live in every day. The things that we say, and then in reality, we're, we don't do those things, or we don't actually feel that way, or we don't actually behave in alignment with what we say, right? And we went through a couple of big ones today, like saying, oh, I don't care. Well, that's BS. You do care. But you, you're saying that just to be tough, or you don't want to acknowledge the impact of that possibility, right? And so we, we try to hide ourselves because it hurts. It hurts to be accountable for our feelings. It hurts to open our heart. It hurts to be vulnerable. It hurts to bring our ego down. It hurts to surrender, control. But it will set you free. And that's why it's said that the truth shall set you free. So I hope you have a great rest of your day, wherever you happen to be. And God bless. <laughs>